Okay, uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's have a word of prayer and uh, we will just dig in tonight. Dearest Heavenly Father, we, we simply come to this moment and we came because we wanted to sit at your feet and learn. And so we're just going to ask that your spirit would intrude in this place and would guide uh, our very words and our very thoughts together. Help us to be true to Scripture. Help us not to inject ourselves, but instead to look for you and to find what you were saying to us and about us uh, here in your word. So, God, we give you freedom tonight. It's okay to bother us. It's okay to convict us. Just change us uh, tonight with your word. We ask you that in Jesus' precious name. Uh, Amen. Okay, we've got the microphones. If you've got a question, please wait for the microphone to get there. We're recording this. People are listening to this all over, and uh, we want to be sure they hear your question. That way, the answer makes kind of sense. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we, we pretty much worked through verse uh, 7, if I'm remembering right. Does that sound right to everybody? Yes? Nod your heads. Pretend you're agreeing with me. Okay, all right, so yes. Uh, let's go ahead and pick up there for just a second and finish that conversation up and we'll keep going. So verse 6 simply says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath, and wrath is a serious version of anger, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And we began to talk about this idea, the concept of that as Christians, you and I have got to be incredibly careful about alliances with people who do not know our Jesus, who are not going to make their decisions based on the same values that you and I are. And uh, that you and I do not want to be put in the tenuous position of saying, you know what, I'm partnered with a guy, I'm partnered with a gal who conducts business dishonestly, who lives their life in the low lane, and because I've partnered with them, my reputation, my testimony about Jesus is being tarnished and taken the wrong because I'm seen as partnered. I'm seen as acknowledging. I'm seen as upholding their decisions because we're in a partnership. And their actions now become directly reflective of me in this thing. And so God says, look, you, you have got to be desperately careful. Matter of fact, he says, don't, don't enter into partnerships with people who don't know Jesus. Now I'm, I'm going to say this out loud because I think sometimes what we do is we jump to the other end of this and we go, well, okay, that means as long as they're a Christian, it's okay to be a partner with them. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Why is that the wrong answer? That just because they're a Christian doesn't mean it's necessarily okay to be a partner with them. What do we think? Here we go. We got one here. Mainly because there's a lot of people who claim to be Christian and they really don't live their faith. There you go. Because the easy answer is, guys, and here, get ready for this. There are lousy Christians out there. Matter of fact, I'm going to argue that there are Christians that sometimes live their life worse than pagans. And then people who don't know Jesus, because part of what happens when a Christian goes into rebellion is there's so much conviction going on in the life of a Christian, sometimes they misbehave worse than a person who's living apart from God. And just because someone slaps the word Christian on their life, or maybe they are, maybe they truly are a person who at some point has made a decision for Jesus Christ, the better question is, are they living like it? 
Because I don't want to be partnered with a backslidden, living like crud Christian. Because somewhere that's going to reflect back on me, back on you. Guys, if you think about this, this is, this is fairly easy. What, what happens within the Christian church every time a pastor does something really, really stupid? Sleeps with his secretary, goes out and gets drunk, goes to a, a strip club. What happens to Christianity? We all take a black eye, right? We all get thrown in the heap with that. And so I told you Christians were all like that. I told you they were all hypocrites. I told you. The same exact thing happens when you and I align ourselves with somebody who claims to be a brother, claims to be a sister in Christ, but isn't living well. Okay? This happens in partnerships. This happens in friendships. And guys, I'm going to say this out loud. This happens in marriage. You don't marry somebody just because they say they're a Christ follower. You marry somebody because they've demonstrated that they are. Okay? Just because they go to church with you doesn't mean they're marriable people. Okay? Be careful of partnerships with people who don't know God or Christians even who are not living well for God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, 14. Anyone know what it says? We looked at it a little bit last week. Anyone remember? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Let me, let me give you one last little tidbit on this, and then we'll, we'll jump off. Here's, here's the dilemma that I think you and I face as we're, we're tackling this together is, are, are we saying that you can't be friends with someone who doesn't know Jesus? Are we saying you can't have relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Is that what we're pushing toward? Is that what we're trying to say together? How many say, I, I, don't, know. I don't know if a Christian should have non-Christian friends? Okay, so we're saying it's okay to have non-Christian friends, right? Okay, well then let me ask you the question. At what point does a relationship with a non-Christian friend cross the line and become unhealthy? When is that moment? There we go. Uh, when you allow them to influence your decisions. Okay. So here's the line. The line is, ready? Influence and reliance. Okay? All right, we're going to look at that way. All right, so influence and reliance. So, in other words, if I'm a Christian, we'll make, we'll make this person a Christian... Okay, and and we'll make this person a seeker. In other words, we'll say, hey, you know, there's someone who hasn't figured out God yet. We're hopeful, but they haven't figured out God yet. Okay, and now we're friends. This type of friendship is fine. This is matter of fact. If if you're not friends with this person who's far from God and trying to figure out God, then how are they going to figure out God? Who's going to influence them? Who's going to be the light in their life? If you and I remove ourselves from everybody who doesn't know God, then people who don't know God are in desperate, desperate trouble. Okay? The place that this crosses the line, okay? Oh, look at that. All right, so the place this crosses the line is when, okay, this relationship changes and I as the Christian begin to lean on the non-Christian. 
In other words, I'm allowing that non-Christian a voice in my life that is either influencing my actions. In other words, I, I begin to find myself in moments saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If I did that, I wonder what Tim would think. I, I wonder how this would affect Tim and whether he would agree with me or not. When Tim begins to influence your decisions in life, that relationship has become unbalanced for a believer with a non-believer. Okay? Now, here's the caveat of that. With the exception of your testimony, I think it's proper for a Christian to say, hey, I wonder if I did that, would Tim still see Jesus in me? That's okay. That's okay. The question and the thing you cannot delta over is to say, I wonder if Tim would approve of this. It's not for Tim's approval. When he has that much influence on you, the the relationship has crossed the line. Second one. If I was hurting, if I was in trouble, if life wasn't working very well, and my first phone call is Tim, my life isn't doing great, I'm going to go ask my four closest friends, how should I handle this moment in my life? And somewhere on that list of four closest friends is Tim. Then you have crossed this line. You are now yoking your life. You are now partnering in life with a person who does not know your Jesus. And the problem is, is that even as they give their very best counsel, even if they love you, even if they have your best interest at heart, here's the problem. You and I as Christ followers are asked to run every single decision, every decision, whether it be a business decision, a relationship decision, through this. And your friend, no matter how wonderful they are, how great they are, will not be using this as a reference point. And you and I have got to decide that you and I are not interested in hearing worldly advice. It may be the smartest advice the world has to offer. But if it does not reflect Christian value, if it doesn't reflect Scripture, it's the wrong advice. It's the wrong advice. And you and I cannot be in a position where a person who does not know Jesus is the deciding impact of influencing my decisions or I have a reliance on them when I need to have direction in my life. That's when it becomes unhealthy. Now, let's, let's turn this around. All right, what if the Christian and now the person who doesn't know Jesus begins to lean on them? So the seeker, the person who's trying to figure out God, begins to lean on the Christian. Is that unhealthy? No, matter of fact, that's a great relationship. Matter of fact, you pray for that relationship. You pray to be the, for God to position you in the life of someone who doesn't know Jesus yet in a place where they begin to say, you know what, the best advice I get is from that Christian friend of mine. The person I can count on when my life begins to fall apart is that Christian friend of mine. If you can position yourself in a relationship like this, there's a really, really good chance they're going to figure out your Jesus somewhere along the line. Okay? So it's a great relationship. Yep. So we, you're saying you, know, you shouldn't be in a partnership with someone who isn't Christian if you're Christian. But what about... In the situations in life where you're seeking to um, learn a skill set or you're, you know, you have a professor or, you know, you're, we're all kind of putting these situations where we have to learn something from somebody. Yeah. Um, But that's, are you saying that's an entirely different kind of scenario? Yeah, I think that, here's why I think that's different. When I'm sitting in a class at school and someone's teaching me, if I'm doing an apprenticeship at work, and what I'm telling you guys is, I'm not telling you that people who don't know Jesus don't have valuable information. I'm not telling you that. And you and I, you and I, 
should never say, look, I'm not going to learn anything from that person because they don't know Jesus yet. That's not, that is not what I'm saying. Some of the best books I've ever read on leadership, the people didn't know Jesus as their savior. Okay. So that's not what I'm saying. I can go attend someone's class. I can be in a work relationship where my supervisor doesn't know Jesus and I'm apprenticing under my work supervisor. But in that type of a relationship where they're the boss and the supervisor and I'm simply the employee or the apprentice underneath, if they begin to do something that is illegitimate, if they begin to cuss everybody out, if they, if they shave a little bit of... Uh, they overcharge for something... That is not going to come back and reflect on me, okay? Because I, I'm, I'm simply the employee in that situation. But be the partner in that business, and now your partner who does not know Jesus shaves on the, the bill, overcharges on the bill, it will come right back and reflect on you. It's why you cannot be in that equal partnership with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You can work for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You, can't, you cannot be... In equal partnership, okay. So he's asking again. But more than likely, if you're in a situation where uh, the people above you aren't reflecting your values, you're going to be compelled over time to go elsewhere, right? Wouldn't you maybe say? or you know, maybe or maybe not. I you know, it, it depends on what that looks like. I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm going to Bible college. I'm working on a freight dock. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, the foreman on my freight dock did not know Jesus. <laughs> and the way he treated all of us that were working on the freight dock, he, he had a way of expressing his desires that did not look like Jesus. And, uh, uh, you, you know, I worked there as an employee. I was happy to work there. I tried in that context to be the best truck loader they had ever seen. And a matter of fact, it was interesting because they eventually began to hire multiple guys out of our Bible college to work on the dock because we were the best workers, most dependable guys. We weren't stealing off the dock. We were actually in that situation having a testimony. Now, the average person walking in off the street to sigh motor freight... <laughs> had no idea there were a bunch of Christians working there because they were probably meeting the foreman and the guy who ran the company. That's just what it was. That's just what it was. But if you'd ever walked out on the dock, you would have run into a whole bunch of seminary students probably singing songs you know, to Jesus. So I'm not saying you can't work in a secular context. I'm saying you, you've got to be careful to put your life in any sort of an alignment with a person who doesn't know Jesus that suddenly... Their behavior becomes directly reflected on you, and that's what happens in partnerships. Okay, that's what happens in deep friendship. Look, guys. All right, man. Let's talk for a second. Okay, uh, you you've got a guy in your circle of friends, and you know that guy is betting down every girl he can get his hands on. We know that guy, right? All right, we know that guy. He begins to date a young lady, and he dates her for six months. What's your bet? He's betting her down. He wouldn't be in the room for six months if he wasn't getting something. Now, it may be possible that she's sat there for six months saying no, but here's the deal. She has aligned her life with a man who that is his value, and that will become her reputation. You and I cannot afford to align ourselves with people who are not following Christ. That their reputation become our reputation. That their actions become directly reflected on us. That's what the Scripture is warning against.
that you can't have a final vote. Now, here's the thing. I think you could potentially be in a business venture where you were the majority owner and a person who didn't know Jesus was a minority owner because now you've got the final say. Does that make sense? Because now I can say, dude, no, we're not going to overcharge. That's not who we are. That's not what we're going to do. Sorry. Okay? And I think you can be in that relationship all day long. You know, people don't have to know Jesus to loan you money. But you better be in control of the decisions in that situation that are going to come out of it. We're there. We got it. Okay. Len, I'm really yeah. glad you're talking about this topic because there's one piece of this equation that I don't, don't think most Christians realize that happens when you do get in a relationship with a non-believer. I was married to a non-believer for 13 years, and as you walk down your Christian path and as you continue to mature, you will be attacked. You will yeah. be attacked by Satan. He will come after you to try to prevent you from furthering your relationship with him, with Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's done by the non-believer. It's not intentional. It's just that it's an easy target for them to manipulate you and to try to keep you from your walk. I've experienced it myself. I've seen it. I've felt it. And it's taken, you know, it takes time to realize you can't be upset at that non-believer because they didn't know. But they do understand after the fact that, you know, that the harshness of it wasn't intentional. And it, it's clearly coming from Satan. It, it can happen. And that's what happens when you rely on a non-believer, especially in a personal relationship like that. Okay. Amos? That is a book of the Bible. Amos. Okay, so it's back in the Old Testament. Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Amos chapter 3. I'll give you a second to find it. It's kind of hard. Fairly close to the New Testament. Get to the book of Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Here's what it says. Okay? Deeply, 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 deeply profound. You ready? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Is that deep or what? I mean, that's just, woo! It's deep. Because here's what it's saying. It's saying exactly what we've just discussed today. Okay? That that if you're going to join your life and go on the journey of life, you're going to walk through life with somebody, do two people walk together unless they've agreed to do so? And if you're a Christian... And this is the path to obedience and following God. How many would agree that following God is one of the hardest things you've ever done? How up for it do you think a person is who's not made that personal commitment? There's not. This is this stuff that we do for giving people who've hurt us and and giving money for ministry and and serving for free. Serving for free, guys. Come on, this stuff we do is insanity. To people who are far from God. It just it doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Because Scripture even says the things of God are just craziness to people who haven't experienced God. It's just what it is. So here's the deal. Now here's my, we'll make it my wife. Here's my wife who doesn't know Jesus. How in the world is she going to consistently believe that's the best decision we can make? To live in obedience, to live in sacrifice, to how it, it, it just doesn't even, it, it just looks like two plus two is nine when you and I are Christians trying to explain God who, for, to someone who hasn't been touched by Jesus yet. And so now we have to agree, but here's the deal. Let's say we always meet in the middle. Let's say that we've, we've worked out this relationship with my, the person who doesn't know Jesus and, and I'm the person that knows Jesus and we'll always meet halfway in the middle. 
you realize that in order to agree to walk together, halfway in the middle means there's where I live my life. Which means I live my life out of the will of God. I don't live my life where God intended me to be. Because I'm always having, just, just to get along, having to agree to compromise. How are we going to raise our kids? What type of church are we going to go to? Are we going to go to church? What are we going to do with our fight? Every one of those becomes an argument. And in the moment that we try to settle and we try to find common... It, I'm stuck. It's why Scripture so desperately warns against this type of an alignment in your life. Now, here's the deal. And some of us have found ourselves there because when we, when we got married or when we entered that partnership, we weren't Christians yet. And now we've found Christ and something's changed. And so suddenly we're in that unequally yoked. And the answer is simply this. You and I then have to navigate this moment. You and I have to live this moment as best we can. But understand this, and this is the part that has fairness in it. That guy, when he married you, you were a heathen. You didn't know Jesus. That's what he thought he was buying. That's what he thought he was getting in the relationship. And now you're the one that changed. He's the one that he believes you've changed the rules. And you've got to understand that as you now suddenly come back and try to explain God to him. He feels like you broke the promise. He thought he was marrying some crazy person, right? He thought he was marrying some wild and wooly, and yeah, and he ended up with a Christian. <laughs> and vice versa. The guy who suddenly becomes a Christ follower and his wife hasn't figured it out yet, she's going, I didn't marry this man. I, I married the guy that was going to take me to clubs every Friday night. I, I married the guy who was a rebel without a cause. That's who I married. And, and now you're what? You're a Christ. What? You got to understand. They, they feel like you and I are the ones that change the deal. Which brings you and I into a place of having to really, really, really be careful how we live Christ in front of them in this moment. Because they've already, as far as they're concerned, there's already two strikes in this moment. It's why Scripture says, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever do this on purpose. You may find yourself there, and you may find yourself in a moment having to live your Christian life as best you can, partnered with somebody who does not understand your answers, probably doesn't even understand some of your questions. And if you find yourself in that, you live that to the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. But don't ever, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever do that on purpose. And guys, you heard me last week say it, and that's why we're talking a little more. I believe the same principle applies to mature Christians aligning their lives within mature Christians. Because immature Christians are still making an awful lot of wrong decisions. And I'm just going to say to the ladies in the room, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare marry a man who was significantly behind you spiritually. Because you're going to put him in a position of leading your home and you'll be trying to drag him along. It's a horrible relationship. It's a horrible dynamic in a marriage. It'll probably haunt you for the entirety of the marriage. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Men, if you're in this room and you find yourself in that dynamic and, and you go, hey, you know what? Uh, my wife has gotten ahead of me. My wife is further along in this journey with Jesus Christ. And I'm, here's what I'm going to tell you. I can tell you right now. You don't have to tell me. I guarantee you there's a tension in your relationship. She keeps trying to kind of grab you and pull you along and you're kind of going, hey, wait a minute. This, I'm not ready to be there yet. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. That tension is going to stay there until you catch up. I, I wish I could tell you a different answer. I would, it's going to stay there. 
And if you want to remove that tension in the relationship, you're going to have to start moving forward in Christ. You're going to have to get up to speed in this. So that you, ready guys? So that you can lead your home. So that you can be the one saying, this is who the Johnsons are, and this is how we follow, and you can lead your home. So I'm just going to issue a challenge to you guys. Guys, if you're behind, two-a-days, put some extra effort in, okay? Time to catch up. And, and or there'll always be this tension. It'll always be there. Okay? We're good. All right. All right. In, in the, uh, when God told Hosea to go back and take his wife that was kind of like a harlot, mm-hmm. what was that about? Okay. So Hosea has married a gal who used to be a harlot, and, and he's married her, and now she keeps going back to prostitution on the deal. So you got to remember, first off, is, is that God is saying, hey, you're married to her. I'm going to ask you to maintain the married covenant. And what we know is, biblically, he actually had freedom. He actually had freedom because we know the Scripture says if somebody is unfaithful in a marriage, that's one of the causes for freedom. But here's what I will say to you. Even if somebody is unfaithful in marriage, it means, it means I have freedom. In other words, Scripture says this. If, if, if one of the partners is unfaithful in marriage, I can choose to stay. Or I can choose to go or tell them to go. That's my choice. And I'm not spiritually bound to either answer. Does that make sense? I have the freedom to choose. In the case of Hosea, as he's, God is asking him, he is hearing God say, Hey, I, I'm asking you to make the choice to stay. I'm asking you to make the choice to bring her back to the home. Which I would believe, guys, anytime you and I were in that situation before we made the choice, because it would be so easy to make the choice in pain and anger and all, we probably should pray about it and say, God, do you have a direction for me? Do you have an answer for how I should respond to my unfaithful partner and get his word on that, get his, his direction on that? It's interesting because, and I won't bore everybody else, but it's interesting in the case of the prophet Hosea and having to take back his prostituting wife over and over again God turns around and says, Israel, you've just watched the man of God take back his unfaithful prostituting wife. And I asked him to do that so you would see what it's like to be me, having to take you back each time you prostitute yourself to other gods. Isn't that interesting? So there's also a picture for you and me each time we as Christians go and prostitute ourselves to the other cares of the world and say, no, 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 no. I know God said, but it's not. I'm going to do it anyways. And then we go, oh, God, you'll forgive that, right? God says, no, it's a big deal. (laughs) It's like going out and being with other men and then coming back to me. So it ended up being a biblical picture of what was going on. Okay? We're good. We're happy. All right, we're going to keep going. Grab your Bibles. Here we go. Back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what it says. Uh, For you you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Okay? So it's saying, hey, look, here's the deal. 
you used to live in the same lifestyle as those people that don't know me yet, the people I just asked you not to partner with. That's, that's your former life. That's how you used to behave. I'm asking you now to step out of that darkness and come over here and now begin to live a life in the light. That, that every one of your actions, every one of your behaviors is reflective of a God follower, of a Christ follower. So stepping out of the darkness and coming into the light in behavior. Matter of fact, uh, we won't go there right now, but Colossians chapter 3 has this incredibly powerful picture. It's actually verses 9 and 10 where it says, The job of a Christian is to put off all the behaviors that belong to the old way of living. All my lying, all my coarse jokes, the things that used to entertain me that didn't honor God, the the crooked deals, the way I used to treat my spouse. I'm to begin to put those off. And the Bible almost describes them like clothing. I'm to begin to take off all those old deeds. And now in Christ, I'm to begin to put on all the righteous behaviors, all the righteous actions of a follower of Christ. And the idea is simply this. You can't wear both suits. So in order to put on the new suit in Christ, I need to be ready to take off the old clothes, the old behaviors, the old actions of the old way of life so that I can put on the new suit in my life, the new way of behaving in my life. Okay, so back to the passage. For you once were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all. And now he's going to give you and me a screen to be able to assess what things belong in this life of light. The fruit of light consists of, what are the three characteristics? Goodness. What else? Righteousness What's the third one? Truth All right If those are to be the three characteristic words of this new life that we find in Christ Define them for me What is goodness? How would you define goodness? When we say that person is good What are we usually saying? Without evil. Okay, without evil. Sort of. Godliness. Godliness, okay? So I'm with you there. So what do I mean when I say that person has godliness or goodness? What are we referring to? The The right intentions and motives in your heart. All right, so let's let's get, let me see if I can help us get there. Uh, we're we're at a funeral. We're at a funeral, and Fred has died. And uh, we're all standing around and go, "Man, Fred was a good guy. He was a good man." What are we usually saying? Huh? He was kind. What else are we trying to say? I was going to say their behaviors. Like- huh? How they acted, their okay. behaviors. Probably behaviors. When we say, hey, that person was a good guy, we mean, hey, he helped, he helped his neighbor. You know, he loaned his lawnmower to him. He, he 
uh, volunteered at the Cub Scouts. So most likely in here, with goodness, it's saying this is behavior. Okay? So as you and I put on this new life, remember we're putting on the new life. He says, you've got to begin to put on the behaviors of the new life. What are, how do you know what the behaviors of the new life are? Huh? I don't think it's fruits of the spirit. Are you walking in Jesus' footsteps? Are okay. you emulating Jesus? I'm going to behave the way Jesus behaved. Okay? I'm going to be doing what Scripture said, and I'm going to behave the way Jesus... Hey, guys, you, you get this. Our assignment is to be little Jesuses in the world. That's as simple as I can put it. That you and I are supposed to be so reflective of God in our behavior that people would say, well, it's like Jesus works in the cubicle next to me. And you go, well, dude, if I mean, if I was that righteous, I was like, I'd irritate people. Well, that's good. That's, that's good. That's okay. It's okay. As long as, I'm not asking you to be obnoxious. And we all have met the obnoxious Christian. I'm just saying, if you behaved the way Jesus would behave if he sat in your cubicle, it's, it's going to do one of two. Th- Remember, all right. The passage here just said, you and I are to step out of darkness into light. Right? Light does two things. Light illuminates. So in other words, things I never understood, things I never saw, things I used to trip over when I walked in the room, I suddenly see them. Light illuminates. But light also offends. And if you've ever walked into a room when you've been in darkness for a long time and your eyes are not adjusted and someone pops the light on, there's the potential that light bothers me, right? That that light irritates me. And you just need to know, guys... If, if, if Jesus, if you think about this, Jesus was irritating enough that they killed him for it. You and I run the risk if we live a Christ-like life, even if we aren't an idiot, and even if we aren't caustic just for the sake of winning an argument, there is still the opportunity, there is still the chance that there will be people around you who resent your Christ-like lives to the point of saying, I will stand against you. I will be your enemy because I hate your light. It's part of the call of following Christ. That that there'll be some people who will be drawn to Jesus and illuminated by your behavior. There will be people who will be deeply bothered by your behavior. Because you're light in darkness. So the first one is behavior, it's goodness. All right, righteousness. How would you define righteousness? In Christ. Huh? In Christ. Okay, in Christ... But in this context, when it's talking about being righteous, as we now live in the light, we said that goodness is probably behavior. What do you think righteousness is implying? Okay, so we got it back there, here. Um, Acting in a morally correct manner. Okay, so help me with this, okay? I'm not, and I'm not telling you, here, here's why I'm pausing. Because there's such a thing as righteous behavior, and there's such a thing as righteous action. I completely agree with you. In the context of the passage we're talking about, he gives us three words to run our lives through. If goodness deals primarily with behavior, and it may or may not, but if, if that's what we believe it does, that it deals primarily with behavior, now he's given us a second word. A second screen to run our life through, so to speak. And if we've already dressed behavior, 
What do you think he's addressing with the term righteousness? I would say it's about our decisions we make. Decisions. What else are you going to add to that list? Attitude. Attitudes. What else are you going to add to that list? Our inner thoughts. Our thoughts. And I'm going to toss on motives. I think in this particular context, righteousness is talking about our hearts. That it's not just, see, that we're not the Pharisees of the New Testament who, remember what the Pharisees? The Pharisees had a lot of good behaviors. And I believe now when it's shifting this word righteousness, it's saying, but I want your hearts. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees and all their good behaviors? You are like whitewashed what? Tombs. On the outside, you look really, 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 really good. And on the inside, you've got dead man's bones in your heart. And I think in this particular context, he's saying, hey, look, you're going to live good lives, but you're going to do this from a righteous heart. You're going to do this from pure motives. This isn't about your applause. This isn't about people noticing. This isn't about being Holy Joe. This is about serving Christ because it's the right thing to do. And it comes from a pure heart. Righteousness. Goodness, righteousness, last one, truth. Truth. What do you think he means by truth? Knowing the Bible. Knowing the Bible is surely going to get me to truth. Obedience. 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 Hmm. What else do we think? God's the truth. Huh? God is the truth. God is the truth. Relationship with God. So let me think this through for a second. You used to live over here. Um, I used to live in darkness. What were my behaviors like? Were my behaviors good or were my behaviors bad as a general rule when I lived in darkness? Probably, probably bad. When I lived in darkness, okay, uh, my motives and what I did, uh, were they righteous motives or selfish motives? Probably selfish motives. Now he comes back and as I was living in darkness, okay, and as I navigated darkness, and I was about to get in trouble, or somebody called me into question, uh, what probably came out of my mouth? Yeah. Truth. Would it be the foundation for the rest of that stuff? You know, I, th- I think if you're taking truth as being kind of maybe a reflection of Scripture and Bible, I think, I think and I, I should be wrong, I, I think the, the, the reference here is to say, Live, live just with absolute integrity and honesty and accountability in your life. If someone comes to you and says, man, uh, you just blew your top. You were angry as all get out. What, what does the old me want to do in that moment? Ah, I was, and they deserved it. Right? That's what, that's what the old me wants to do. But if I'm living in truth... And even if, let's just say, let's say they did say something offensive and they did do something that was caustic in my life. But if I'm now living in truth and someone comes to me in love and says, hey, you know, you didn't handle that very well. If I am living in truth and not self-deception and not in, in self-justification, what do I do in truth? 
I, I let that light of examination come and I go, you know what? <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I, 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 they did something wrong to me, but boy, I wronged back, didn't I? I mean, I, wow. I need to be honest about that. I need to be truthful about what just happened. Someone in, in the old days says, hey, the only reason you did that was so people would notice. And I go, oh, no, I didn't do that for people to notice. Now I'm living in the light and someone calls me out and they go, you know, the only reason you did that was so someone would notice. And if I'm living now in truth, and if there is truth in what they just said, what would I say? I'd say, you know what, I, I think I did. <laughs> I, I, I think I did that for the praise of men and, and not for the praise of God. And I believe in this situation, when it's talking about truth, it's saying you need to live in the self-examining, transparency, light of Christ that just says, I'll let my motives be exposed. I'll let my decisions be out. And I'll just, I'll be honest about them. I'll live with them in the light. And I won't try to cover them over and make them something that they're not. I'll be truthful in myself. Okay? So it says, that's how you used to live in the light is now you now live. And it is marked by goodness, righteousness, and truth. Okay, verse 9. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. I, I think it's interesting that now that he says, hey, you've left darkness, you're going to live in light. When I lived in darkness, who did I live for? Myself. If you're going to come live in light, you're going to have to, here's what you ready for this. You're going to have to figure out really, 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 really quick who you want to please. Because every one of us who claims to be a Christ follower has competing allegiance. (laughs) See, before Jesus... You and I, you, you and I, it was real simple. We did whatever pleased self. Whatever makes you happy. And when you and I were living in darkness, there was the screen. That's, that's who we pleased. We married a person because they pleased us. We did what we did because it pleased us. We chose our careers because it pleased us. This was the screen. But if you're going to live in the light, he says there's a whole new set of rules. You live to do that which pleases who? Your Lord. Which I, you just need to hear me say out loud with honesty. There will be moments when you cannot please those two. You can't. You cannot please both. And if you are truly a Christ follower, the next decision should be really simple. That's what he's saying. This one always wins. This one always loses. If you're going to walk in the light, you walk to please the Lord. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, what does Paul say? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, this thing of following Jesus, this thing is a thing of dying. I, I am dying all the time. Jesus may die, have died on a cross. 
I am dying in life because I constantly find myself putting myself to death. Because what I want to do is in conflict with what the Lord wants me to do. And I know that if I'm going to be a Christ follower, He has to win every time. So this following Jesus is a constant, constant putting myself to death. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Christianity, the Christ following, is a life of self-dying. You cannot have two masters. Where are we at on time? Pastor Lynn, we've got eight minutes. Oh, tons of time. We can go 20 verses. There we go. All right. Um, Verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Okay? Uh, For it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. What does that mean? Okay, I think I think it maybe has some some element of gossiping in there. It is shameful to even mention what the ungodly do in secret. All right, so let's stop for a second. What's the context? What's the context? When is this being written? Come on, give me give me halfway close. When are we being written? Okay, first century, right? We're being written first century, probably somewhere between about 60 and 80 AD. Okay, so when this is being written, who's in control? Who's running the world right now? Rome. And what are the Romans known for? Besides the fact that they're great military powers and and set up republics, but, but what are their lifestyles known to be? Huh? Absolutely deviant. Absolutely dark. Matter of fact, fun for a Roman is you bring all your friends over and we all swap wives. Uh, matter of fact, there was a period of time in Rome and they say that you could mark how, how many years, uh, or every year that went by, by each wife the guy had turned in. It's just darkness. Uh, you would go in and as they would have banquets, uh, there, you would go into the banquet hall. Well, a, a normal part of the banquet hall was a fountain right in the middle of the banquet hall. So that, here's what you do, you would eat until you were stuffed. You would eat until you couldn't stand anymore. And then you would take a thing look like a spoon. You'd walk over to the fountain. You'd stick it down your throat and vomit into the fountain in the banquet hall so you could go back to the table and stuff yourself again. It's just... Excess everywhere. Scripture now comes back and says, guys, guys, look. It's a shame for you and I who are following Jesus to even talk about what those who don't follow God are doing in private. Because here's what was happening within the church. There was becoming kind of a lascivious, vicarious enjoyment. In other words, we don't do that. But boy, did did you hear what happened at Caligula's house last week? I mean, man, I was hearing, you know, and and now we're retelling the lascivious stories of the people in darkness. And so the Christians are going, well, at least I'm not participating. I'm not doing it. But you ready for this? Those lascivious stories became their forms of entertainment. 
Okay? And I don't, I don't think it was so much gossip as much as it was entertainment. Wait till I tell you. It was almost like, for, for lack of a better term, it was like the tabloids. It was like picking up the star and reading, oh my goodness, you know, that's what it was. it was. It was entertainment by reading the darkest deeds of the people of darkness. Okay, so let's read the verse again. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient are doing in secret. How do you expose them if you don't talk about them? Okay, and so I, I think what you're, in, in answer to that, the type of talking about it's talking about here is that tabloid talking. It's that, it's that talking in order to relish and be entertained by it. I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say, hey, look, that behavior, uh, your wife swapping, that's inappropriate. That's not this same kind of lascivious talking about it. This enjoyment of the story. Does that make sense? Sensationalizing it. It suddenly now becomes kind of, wow, did you hear? You know? And again, I don't think from a gospel, it, 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 becomes, it becomes an entertaining moment. Let me ask you a question. How would you apply that verse today? We've kind of arrived back at the same point. We have a culture of, you know, true housewives of this and true housewives of that. Uh, if you're a criminal, you're a celebrity as much as anybody that does mm-hmm. anything good. Nightly news is constantly about, you know, what the latest scandal is of the current politician in town. And, and we pay more attention. Like, you have to actually work to find some place to hear good news hmm. while you're being bombarded constantly by the acts of people that are creating bad news. Hmm. He kind of beat me to it. I was going to say like the whole Kardashian ETV type of people hmm. get hooked on that and that's their life. They sit there and just watch it. Hmm. They don't live their own life. Um, I personally, I, I would say uh, that so some old friends of mine and the things we used to do, we would always retell stories of certain things that happened. Mm-hmm. I won't go on, but I'm sure everybody can just about guess. Anyway, just rehash, continually rehashing those mm-hmm. stories that everybody knows so personally mm-hmm. in your inner circle. Right. So you, you almost fabulize, you almost make myths out of, things that really probably weren't great things. Hmm. Pastor Lance, sometimes in some groups at past churches or something, sometimes you think that it can come up sometimes in a prayer request. Someone will come out the blue with a prayer about a family or something going through a certain situation and just keep going on and on about it. it mm-hmm. You're talking about gossip prayer? You know yeah. What you're talking about? yeah. Anybody ever been in the room when someone was gossip praying? Dear God, please forgive my friend for being such a horrible person. And, you know. But I'm praying for Jesus. I'm praying. All right, so here's, here's what I'm going to leave you with tonight, okay? I'm just going to toss this out. We're not going to... I'm, I'm, you're going to go answer it. I'm going to toss it out for you. Here, here's where I think it applies today. 
I think you and I have got to be very careful about what entertains us. I think you and I got to make some real clear decisions as followers of Christ what TV shows we put on, what movies we go to, where we allow ourselves to be. And, and guys, I get it. I get that we live in a very, very dark world. And, and if you and I sit there and say, look, I can't, I can't be anywhere, I can't see any TV show that doesn't have Jesus. In, you know, I, Come on, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when the entertainment of the show is centered around the celebration of darkness, I don't believe that you and I as Christians should be watching that show. If it's about promoting and celebrating the acts and the behaviors of evil people, then I don't think it. So let me give you an example of that. I, I watch Law and Order. There's bad things that happen on Law and Order. There just, there just is. I personally would tell you I don't think that show is about celebrating or promoting evil acts. That that's not the purpose of the show. But there are a lot of shows on TV that come on and have charming little opening. And, and if you stop and think about it a minute, that show is about celebrating lifestyles of darkness and promoting lifestyles of misbehavior. I believe you and I as Christians have got to be careful what we allow to entertain us. Okay? And I'm going to leave that for you to figure out. I'm going to leave that for you to, before Christ, say, is this the type of show that I, as a Christ follower, ought to be going and paying money to see or watching on TV? And I don't believe the line is, did something bad happen in the show? I believe the line is, does the show promote and espouse and celebrate the deeds of evil people? Here's what this pastor says. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thanks for a chance to dig in the word and to put our lives up against it. And uh, God, I do ask, I ask that you would help us to be a people who put off the old way of living, that we just say, look, I'm done with that old garment. I'm done with the deeds and the behaviors of darkness. Uh, to live in the light, to put on Christ in my life. And, and I get, I get that that means I can no longer be a self-pleaser. I have to be a Lord pleaser. And God, help us as we navigate an incredibly dark world that we would never take joy or entertainment from the deeds of darkness, from the behaviors of people who are far from you, that we would never join in the celebration, but rather expose. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, thank you. Thanks for being here tonight.